This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. So why do seagulls live near the sea? Because if they live near the bay, they'd be bagels. Welcome to Wings and Things, where you'll find real answers to real questions about everything you want to know about pet birds. Care, feeding, bird products, travel, and more. Everything to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. From parrots to parakeets, cockatiels to cockatoos, you'll have a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about your fun, feathered friends. So, spread your wings and get ready to fly on Wings and Things. Welcome to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Barbara Heidenreich from Good Bird, Inc., and Robin Shawokas of the Leather Elves has the week off. This week, I got to spend time with Shane Hancock, Vice President of the Parrot Society of Australia. We'll be right back after these messages. Sitting on a branch overlooking the parking lot, the pigeons watched as a Mercedes pulled in below them. What do you think, one bird said to the other. Should we put a deposit on that car? Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Pretty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. Well, I am here with another special guest from Australia. I have Shane Hancock, who is the Vice President of the Parrot Society of Australia with me today. Would you like to say hello, Shane? G'day, Barbara. I keep forgetting. I'm supposed to say g'day over here, aren't I? Oh, boy. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your affiliation. Yeah, well, um, I guess I'm like most aviculturists. I've uh, started at a very young age. I was very fortunate to be introduced to um, animals from a very young age. And I guess unlike other members of my family, I sort of stood out on my own. I didn't really have the support of, of other family members with regards to my interest in keeping wildlife and just keeping animals in general. So I've always had a history, and I guess anyone that's known me all my life has known that I've had some sort of affiliation with wildlife. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's a... Um, you know, a native species of bird right through to a domestic donkey. It really doesn't matter. So, yeah, I've, I've always had um, lots of interest in different forms of animal life. Now, how did it come to parrots, though? Because you're very heavily involved with the Parrot Society of Australia. 
Um, yeah, my interest in parrots started off um, actually after my interest in finches. When I first started in aviculture, I kept um, zebra finches and a lot of the, the more cheaper species of finch. And um, I then sort of branched into keeping cockatiels and uh, and some of the neophemus species. And I guess from that I found the interest in parrots to be a lot stronger and much more interactive. You could actually get in there with the birds and handle them and, um, and become more hands-on, more so than keeping finches. So I slowly weaned myself off finches, which I still love, but um, parrots have definitely been my preoccupation for many years now. And how did you get involved with the Parrot Society of Australia? Uh, I guess as a, as a teenager, I was uh, searching for a lot more information about my hobby. And in those days, uh, being 36 now, um, I'm talking sort of, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, the, the internet didn't exist. And so most people that were in agriculture um, relied on their friends or their friendship networks to actually learn how to be a better bird keeper and uh, swap information. So I started hunting around for clubs and I was fortunate enough that my hometown of Brisbane is the actual base for the Parrot Society of Australia. So it was right on my front door and being a national organisation, I got myself involved in that uh, as a late teenager. And uh, I tend to be someone that doesn't like to sit on the sidelines. So from the moment I joined the club, I got uh, asked to be on the committee and then it's the history is just from there on. And as Nick told us uh, in a, an interview not too long ago, you wear many hats with the Parrot Society of Australia. So what are the different tasks you do for them? Okay, yeah, I, I started off, um, I guess I've, I've held different positions over the years with the Parrot Society, but um, my main role in the last few years has been in the promotion of the club and getting it on its feet and getting it recognised internationally for the organisation that it is, and that is to uh, to represent uh, avicultural, so in fact anyone that's enthusiastic about parrots in Australia um, on the worldwide stage. And uh, my most recent role is that I was elected as vice president. So I still maintain a promotion role, um, but I, my formal role now is the vice president. And under that portfolio, I, um, I manage a whole range of things from advertising and sponsorship for the club, right down to getting hands-on with the magazine and its publication, as well as uh, organizing conventions, such as the one that you're here in Australia for at the moment, and also um, the children's publication that I co-write with uh, Nicholas Bishop called Fledglings. Maybe we ought to jump right into that. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about fledglings and what you're doing for children in aviculture? Well, my background is as a primary school teacher, and um, I guess my interest in education stems from that. And I met Nicholas at the last convention, which was Parrots 2006, which you were also here in Australia for. And um, Nicholas and I had a brainstorm, and that was to get together and actually try and engage children in the hobby of aviculture. We noticed that demographic was shifting very much in aviculture here in Australia, and I think it's also shifting worldwide. As people are getting older, a lot of younger people are becoming distracted by, I guess, technology and other influences in life. Um, even the way people are living now has changed, which affects the way that they keep their birds or even if they decide to keep birds as a young child. And um, we decided to try and get some really good quality information out there to kids to try and get them enthusiastic and engaging in our hobby. Yeah, I agree. I'm one of those people that had animals in my life ever since I was young, and, and I think it really makes a huge difference in your appreciation of wildlife. And even though it may seem a big stretch to go from maybe keeping a pet parrot to conservation, I think it really does help build an appreciation because you make a connection with that animal and then you start to care about, oh, you know what, its ancestor or relative is possibly going extinct in the wild and so there becomes value in it for you to do something about it. Yeah, well, we, we uh, as 
we started to write and develop the whole fledglings concept, we sat down and sort of thought, what would be of use to kids and uh, and people starting off? Because it doesn't necessarily appeal just to children. It's also for the beginner or novice. So it doesn't matter whether you're coming in as an adult or as a child. There's a lot of really good sound information that we put in there. And we try to focus on a species to get them excited about that species. We only have um, four pages that we can actually work on to get that information across. So it's not a lot of space, but we try and give the main points about that species and also go back to basics and give them some solid avicultural advice that both Nicholas and I, coming from the generation that did enjoy having um, older mentors that we networked with that passed it on to us, we figured that that seems to be missing in today's age with technology and access to the internet, that we wanted to pass some really good solid advice onto the kids. So we have a back to basics section and then we also have Nicholas's forte which is uh, all the training side of things and behaviour analysis uh, that is worked into the publication as well. So for the kids they have not only some really good scientific facts about birds but they also have some really good avicultural principles and management techniques that they're learning as well as um, some behavioural training stuff and then of course just to cap it all off we've got a fun section as well which has some interactive downloads off um, our website where the kids can go online and pull down colouring activities and they can enter competitions and there's word finds and other fun stuff on the back of the issues. I should also mention that you are a school teacher by trade so you have a lot of experience in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess also I'm very fortunate at the moment that I work for the Brisbane School of Distance Education, which is a correspondence school that um, interacts with children that are geographically isolated, so kids that are on properties, um, also working children that are involved in, say, the circus industry or um, their parents are itinerant workers, etc. And so from that, I um, am interacting with kids on a digital level every day. My class is actually taught over the internet, so I teach my kids how to read that way. And I sort of know now, after teaching for 15 years, and being in the in the side of teaching that I am at the moment, the sorts of things that can stimulate kids when it comes to print publication. And we're now looking at stepping it one step further into podcasting as well um, to try and get into the kids' homes and into their iPods some of the information that they mightn't be able to access um, in print form. And you're also doing something that I don't think has been done before at a conference. So you've actually put together a program that's specifically targeted for children. Yeah, we are. Nick and I, I guess when Parrots 2008 came around, I think it was inevitable. Um, our friendship and the the relationship that we've built in writing the Fledglings program, the natural next step was going to be a workshop for kids. And that's never really been done in this country before. And on an international level, I guess it hasn't really been done that often either because in the past, uh, aviculture has always concentrated on, on adults and people coming into the hobby in that respect. And uh, the deliberate um, I guess marketing or targeting towards children to get them aware of, of what sort of hands-on hobbies are out there hasn't really existed. So we've decided that we would actually have uh, a fledglings workshop or a hands-on workshop at Parrots 2008. And um, it's kind of a nice way of also celebrating that Nick and I met each other at Parrots 2006 two years ago, and we've come a long way. We're now, we've published 12 issues of our, of our little supplement that goes out to all our members. And uh, the workshop that we've planned for the kids is designed to be as hands-on as possible. It's broken into two sessions. The first session is uh, very much around um, some hands-on um, management techniques on aviculture and uh, environmental enrichment practices and those sorts of things. And then the second part of the workshop is actually to do with some hands-on bird stuff. So that's where the kids can actually interact with Nick and myself in learning some of those basic um, behaviours that are, are really valuable for kids to know how to do at a practical level with their bird. So if this goes well, will you be doing it again at the next convention? 
Oh, definitely. Yes, it's um, it's already received a lot of attention because of what we're doing, and um, we're hoping that we'll be able to actually do this more and more. So, um, it might even get to the stage where it's actually a standalone product where we actually have a children's um, workshop that occurs deliberately outside of a big national convention like we're having for Parrots 2008. Excellent. And what is the website for Parrot Society of Australia so people can look for more information? Okay, it's very simple. It's just www.parrotsociety, or one word, uh, .org, O-R-G, .au. So, of course, anyone that knows anything about websites will know that the AU extension at the end of the website stands for Australia. So if you um, are trying to remember it, if you're listening to this podcast right now, just think parrotsociety.org.au. Great. Well, let's take a little break and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about aviculture in Australia. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories. Party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photo prop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things with your host, Barbara Heidenreich, and Robin Shawokas has the week off. But I'm here with Shane Hancock in Australia, and we're going to talk a little bit more about aviculture in Australia. Shane's had the um, pleasure of traveling around quite a bit, so he's been able to see how aviculture is in a few different countries. And we thought we might compare a little bit about the United States and Australia, since many of our listeners are from the United States. So what are some things you've noticed that are different between the two countries as far as aviculture is concerned? Well, I guess for starters, um, Australia has been known as the land of parrots and we're very fortunate to have so many native parrot species so compared to the US where there are no native parrot species anymore um, we are fortunate to see birds in our own backyards and as we're traveling around the countryside and um, I guess that's probably the biggest change that you can see um, between the states and, and Australia. Uh, when it comes to actually captive uh, bred birds. Uh, once upon a time it was our native species that were kept in large numbers um, but as Australia has been opened in very short time frames to import exotic species because it's actually closed for quarantine purposes now, exotics tend to be the main focus of the high-end spectrum with aviculture. So the things that get us excited here in Australia of course are not what's in our backyard necessarily so macaws and uh, Amazons and some of those sort of exotic species from South America for us are just absolutely mind-boggling but 
but yet for Americans, I guess, you know, they tend to be what you see most of around the place. Uh, and it's our Australians' native species that tend to get the Americans very excited, for example, black cockatoos. So um, I guess it's just horses for courses, and it always seems to be greener on the other side of the fence. But once you're actually in that environment, um, you just make a choice as to what you want to actually keep and, and um, get involved with. So for here in Australia, exotics tend to be the one that um, anyone that's at a very serious level of aviculture tends to get involved with. We talked a little bit about the, the numbers that go along with those species. So a macaw here in Australia would go for how much money? <laughs> okay, we always get asked this question. Um, the current prices here in Australia, just as a comparison, um, and this is the prices reflect the availability of the birds here in the country. So um, because our numbers have come in from uh, a small gene pool and our imports of, that came in, um, the numbers aren't very huge. That's where the prices come from. So, for example, at the moment, um, a blue and gold macaw sells for about seven and a half thousand Australian dollars so that would be just under seven thousand US at the exchange rate at the moment um, scarlet uh, macaws and greenwing macaws at the moment are fetching about twelve thousand Australian dollars so you're looking at between ten and a half to eleven thousand US dollars um, if you want to look at something like a hyacinth macaw which is extremely rare here in Australia and they don't come up for sale very often but hypothetically they're between thirty five and forty thousand Australian dollars each and believe it or not people will trip over themselves to buy those birds in their collections. Um, with regards to other birds such as African greys, they sell for around about four and a half thousand Australian dollars. Um, your Amazon species, I think the cheapest Amazon species you can get is a blue-fronted Amazon, and they start at around two and a half thousand dollars. If you're looking for a black-headed cake, um, you can expect to part with about six and a half to seven thousand dollars. So it's it is a huge difference in the pricing structure, and it, once again, it's got to do with the nature of the birds and their availability here in Australia. What about the native species? What would someone pay for, say, a cockatiel, or would they even pay for a cockatiel? Okay, something for a cockatiel. I, I remember when I first started getting serious um, in aviculture, when I started to get money, of course, and working as a late teenager, I remember when uh, white-faced cockatiels mutations suddenly appeared here in Australia. They were fetching nearly $3,500 a bird, and um, people once again were tripping over themselves to get it. There is a big mutation mentality here in Australia, and mutations attract very big dollars, of course, with the rare mutations as they're slowly entering the marketplace. Um, but, for example, a cockatiel, now that same white-faced cockatiel would sell for around about $30 um, at a pet shop. So the prices do drop, but with our large exotics, I seriously doubt that we'll see macaws coming down to anything less than probably three and a half to $4,000, and that would be quite a few years away if it happens at all. So um, with our native species, as a comparison, because it's always something that our um, American friends always tend to ask us, uh, for example, uh, black cockatoos, you can pick up a, um, a red-tailed black cockatoo for a pet for about $1,500 Australian. So, I mean, it's it, like I said before, it all depends where you are in the world as to what things are, are selling for. Um, but on the flip side of that, you're very lucky that you can keep palm cockatoos in America, whereas here in Australia, where they are native, um, we're, we're not allowed to keep palm cockatoos. They're one of the very few parrot species that are um, prohibited to be kept domestically in this country because of their rarity and their endangered um, rating that they have with CITES, etc. A number of years ago, I helped work on a show at the Perth Zoo in Australia, and we actually went to a wildlife rehabilitation facility to look for parrots to use in our presentation. So that's something that we would never see in the U.S. Um, what happens with those birds typically? Okay, with our native species, um, 
there is a there is a very strong wildlife rehabilitation sort of culture here in Australia because we are so rich in wildlife um, with marsupials and mammals and things like that and birds of course are going to fall into the same category with um, with cockatoos for example if they come into a wildlife rehabilitation facility if they can be rehabbed um, to be able to be independent back in the wild again then they will go through that process and be released because of course we've got cockatoos flying all over the place so it's nothing for us just to release them back into the wild um, unfortunately if some birds uh, sustain injuries that prohibit them from actually being fully rehabilitated uh, for release then we need to find a new home for them and sometimes that could be in the hands of a private owner or they can actually go through the zoological system as well depending on the species and what is required. We are very lucky here in Australia that we don't have a big need for parrot rescue facilities. In fact, we've only got one very prominent one here uh, in this country located on the Gold Coast and that is the Parrot Rescue Centre that has its own website. So for anyone that is very interested in how parrot rescue centres run around the world um, that might be listening to this show, if they visit that website or just simply Google the parrot rescue center um, in australia they'll be able to see the sort of facility that we run here but it's on no scale as um, some of the larger ones that seem to exist in the state so we are very fortunate that we have people that don't just dump their birds because they're sick of them um, we tend to have recycling of pets here in australia so as you know a cockatoo can last a very long amount of time sometimes up to 80 to 100 years they will tend to be inherited or passed down through families or simply someone will show an interest in keeping that bird as a pet and it will be recycled and go on to a new family so we're very fortunate that we don't have birds being dumped in large numbers and i have to ask what's your favorite parrot species i guess i'm like most people that are that are very into something you tend to not try and have a favorite because there's so many positive things about different species that i enjoy but i must say that i am very very partial um, if I had to pick a native species, I'm very partial to our cockatoos. I think there's a lot of personality out there with our birds, and I feel very fortunate to live in Australia and, and see those birds. Of course, the palm cockatoo is, is probably the most iconic species for me because of its um, its status and its rarity. Um, it also is the logo bird chosen for the Parrot Society of Australia, so it's also got another meaning for me as well. But if I was to pick a group of birds on an international level, I think Amazons tend to intrigue me a lot, and they are an exotic species here in Australia, and um, I just seem to like them for their personality the colors and stuff like that but yeah if i was picking a native species it would have to be the cockatoo family well i have to agree with you on the amazons there i'm a little partial to them myself all right well i think we've just about run out of time do you have any last words for any everybody out there shane um, no, just that um, I'm just very excited to have um, you here in Australia, Barbara, to come out for Parrots 2008. Uh, this is the second time that you've come out for us and you've got a very big following here. And I, I just think it's a fantastic opportunity for people in Australia to actually learn more about um, some of their hands-on enrichment opportunities they can give their parrots um, in a companion situation and also from an avicultural sense. And I'm, I'm very glad that seems to be a trend that's sweeping the world at the moment. And you'd know from your consultancy that it doesn't matter whether you're in Australia or in Europe um, or back in your home country, that um, people are really showing a strong interest in making the lives of their birds a lot more happier and a lot more um, enriched and having the skills behind it to do that. So, um, yeah, thank you for coming to Australia. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for the invitation. And it's people like you and the Parrot Society of Australia that make all that stuff happen and help get the word out to the public. So thanks again for joining us. And uh, we'll be back with some more information about upcoming events. August 7th, I'll be teaching an evening seminar on solving parrot behavior problems in Austin, Texas. That one's hosted by the Gallery of Pets. August 9th, both Robin and I will be in Jacksonville, Florida, teaching an enrichment and training workshop. That'll be a day-long event. August 11th through 14th, both Robin and I are at the Association of Avian Veterinarians Annual Conference in Savannah. 
Savannah, Georgia. I'll be teaching a half-day workshop on training with positive reinforcement, and then both Robin and I will also be giving some other lectures as well. I'll have a vendor booth at that event, and I will also have my latest DVD that just came out at that event for you to pick up. And then on September 27th, I'll be in Las Vegas teaching a parrot behavior and training workshop. And following that, October 3rd through 5th, I'll be in Denver, Colorado at the Gabriel Foundation for a parrot behavior and learning seminar for the veterinary professional. This includes Dr. Susan Friedman, veterinarians Jerry Labonde, and Lori Hess. You can find more information at thegabrielfoundation.org. October 11th is the LIPS Annual Parrot Expo. That's the Long Island Parrot Society. And Robin Shuokas will be presenting at that event as well as having a vendor booth. November 1st will be a Parrot Behavior and Training Workshop in Shreveport, Louisiana. And I will be presenting that day-long seminar. And that can be found at acbc.net if you need some more information on that one. And then, of course, my favorite is right here in my hometown. Robin and I will be presenting a day-and-a-half seminar on parrot training and enrichment and uh, November is a great time to visit Austin we usually have fabulous weather that time of year so come on down for that one it is limited seating you can uh, sign up for it right now if you go to goodbirdinc.com you'll see it right there on the home page and then mark your calendars for next year May 29th through 31st it's the best parrot conference behavior enrichment science and training and that'll be in Edison New Jersey the website is bestparrotconference.com now, since we had Shane here from the Parrot Society of Australia, we certainly want you to visit his website or the Society's website. It's parrotsociety.org.au. And when you get there, be sure to click on Fledglings because that will take you to the page where you can download all the free fledgling newsletters that Nick and Shane have put together. They're absolutely fabulous and perfect for anybody, um, a young person looking to get into aviculture or already into it, and uh, they'll find lots of good information there. Shane also mentioned a parrot rescue in Australia that I was fortunate to visit. It's called the ParrotRescueCenter.com and center is spelled C-E-N-T-R-E for those of us who uh, spell it a little differently. I just want to make sure you get to the right site. And then if you're looking for aviculture um, organizations in the U.S., a couple that you might want to check out is afabirds.org. That's the American Federation of Aviculture. And there's another one called asabirds.org and that's the... Um, Aviculture Society of America. So you can check those out as well. And then some reading you may want to look into is uh, ABK Publications is an Australian um, publishing company that focuses on bird products and services. And you can find their website at birdkeeper.com.au. They produce the fabulous Bird Keeper magazine as well as a whole series of, of books on uh, parrots and other species of birds. You may also want to check out Australian Parrots by Joseph Forshaw. If you're in the States, a great place to pick that up is at avianpublications.com. On to my training tip of the week. Since we talked a lot about wild birds and being in Australia, having the chance to see parrots out in the wild is, is really, it's just breathtaking. And one of the things I often talk about when I, when I tell people when they're working with their bird instead of being heavy-handed or, or forcing yourself on your bird that instead think about training your bird like it was a, a wild squirrel in your backyard that you were trying to have take a peanut from your hand. And uh, I think seeing all these wild parrots out here made me think that, that thought again, you know, what if, what if it was a wild parrot you were trying to get to approach you? How would you do that? And in reality, you'd probably hold real still and you'd be real calm and you'd, you'd make it real easy for the bird to approach you. And, and lo and behold, while I've been here in Australia, I even had that opportunity because there's um, a place here called Corumban Sanctuary where wild lorikeets fly in and will come and uh, drink nectar from a container that you hold in your hand and 
And yes, your job is to pretty much hold still and be a tree and let that bird fly to you. And and uh, literally, I I think when we were there, there was probably probably a few hundred, but I was told that that's a third of the number that are usually there. So um, a good education and training and teaching you how to be a, a nice, gentle animal trainer. All right, with that, I think we're just about out of time. Um, if you have any suggestions or questions, feel free to contact me at Barbara at PetLifeRadio.com, and you can certainly contact Robin also. Her email address is Robin at PetLifeRadio.com. If you'd like transcripts of the show, please visit PetLifeRadio.com. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time. Join us every week on Wings and Things and get a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about pet birds and how to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. Wings and Things, only on PetLifeRadio.com.